Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Paul had earlier in this book been referring to many of the things that he had suffered as a result of all the persecution that had come upon him. And he had suffered for and because of the people in Ephesus. A tremendous amount of difficulties had come his way from shipwrecks to being beaten and left dead to being starved and imprisoned and placed in chains and the whole thing. But he comes back and says to them, but it's because of this that he gets on his knees before the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, on his knees in their behalf. Not in his behalf, but in their behalf. I don't know how often you pray for other people or whether or not you do it all, or whether you pray for me as your pastor, or for whether you pray for the Sunday school superintendents and the teachers and the other people who work so faithfully in the church. But I trust that you do. And I think we can find in this particular passage of Scripture the kind of intercession that we need to have for each other. And I hope that the kind of thing that we find in Paul's prayer is the kind that you will find in me. I assure you that I do pray for you, many of you as individuals, and all of, certainly all of you, as a part of this church. And when you have concerns and problems you can be assured that I do spend some time in prayer. And when you ask me to pray for a specific situation in your life, I try my hardest to remember that and put it in my prayers. I did that certainly this morning before coming into the pulpit. And I hope that I get that back from you. Because I believe there is a responsibility that a pastor has to do two things. I could sum it up in these things. Number one is to tell you who you really are in Christ. And then urge you to live like it. And I hope one or both of those come across through the sermons that I preach and the scripture that is selected for our reading, that we can fully understand that there is a real concern in the part of a pastor for his people. And I'm sure that I'm not an isolated instant or a person. That it happens in, in many churches. I'm sure it does not happen in all. But there is a mutual concern of the pastor for the people and the people for the pastor. 
There is a compassion seen in what Paul says here for his church that is revealed in the content of his prayer. And he says that he bows on his knees before the Father, but notice who he identifies as the Father. It is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he gives us an identification with Christ when he says, of whom, that is referring to Jesus in verse 14, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth are named. There are not Baptists and Methodists and Church of Christ and all the others. There's only one name. We're all known by that name. We are Christian, meaning that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And that makes us a family. And we certainly, in an individual congregation, need to treat each other as family, but it goes beyond that from congregation to congregation all those, regardless of what title they might call themselves by, all people who have accepted the Lord Jesus are a part of a family, not only upon earth, but also in heaven. And because of this, he says that he prays for this family. And in verse 16, he begins to identify what he puts into his prayer. He begins by saying that he asks God for something. I want to pause to, to inquire. When you and when I are on our knees or in whatever position we might be before God, what is the content of our prayer? What's in it? And I am afraid that many times we would have to probably to our shame admit that we're pretty selfish in our prayer. For we're praying for us. I'm praying for me. You're praying for you. But we don't find that in Paul's prayer. We don't find him praying to God, God give me an easier road. Make it simpler for me. Don't Allow me to be placed in prison or to be beaten or to be hungry. But we don't find these things in Paul, these things in Paul's prayer. We find in his prayer a concern for others, not for himself. That ought to be the content and the bulk of our praying is for each other. You see, if I pray for you, you won't need to pray for you. And if you pray for me, I won't need to pray for me because we are petitioning God to satisfy the needs of our family. And in that process, all of us will be blessed because God is being petitioned on our behalf. But notice what he asks for. He says that he prays that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory. 
You know, I have read over that phrase many, many times, as I'm sure you have, and never realized what he really was saying. Let me illustrate. If a millionaire wrote a $50 check and gave it to our building fund, he would have given out of his riches, out of his riches. But if that same millionaire wrote a $50,000 check, not a $50 check, but a $50,000 check, we could more properly say he gave according to his riches. Now separate the two. If we give a little bit out of our much, we give out all our riches. If we give in proportion to what we have received, then we give according to our riches. And Paul is praying that God will not give to his people out of his riches, but according to his riches. Which means God being in, in complete abundance, having access to all things, Paul is asking that God would bless his people out of his abundance, according to his abundance. Not out of, but according to his abundance. Not a little bit, but a whole lot. Do you realize that if we receive from God, according to his riches, we would be blessed beyond measure. And the reason we don't get that as we would like is because we are not in a receptive mood. We reject what he wants to give us. We won't accept it. Most of the time, however, we're thinking about physical benefits. And Paul was not praying necessarily for physical benefits because he goes on in the latter portion of that verse and it says that he prays that out of the riches of God, he will strengthen you with his spirit in the inner man. He wasn't talking about external blessings. He was talking about an internal blessing. He wanted his people to be blessed in the spirit. That's what we need to be praying for, is a blessing inside that will come from inside and come out of us instead of something being heaped on us externally. He was concerned about their spiritual welfare. That was the overriding interest that he had in his prayer. Let me tell you, I think as I look at that passage of Scripture, I would have to say, as your pastor, that's exactly what I want for you. I am not interested in you becoming wealthy. I'm not interested in you having uh, a job or having complete satisfaction and peace with all the physical things of life. I'm not saying that I do not wish that you would have those because I certainly do. But the interest that we must have in each other's got to be more than external things. 
It's got to be the welfare of our soul. That's the interest that we've got to have for each other. I see power in Paul's prayer. Tremendous power. Back in 1540, there was a man living by the name of Martin Luther. You've all heard of him. The reformer of the church who typed his, or printed, his theses of opposition to the Catholic Church as it was at that time and, and nailed them to the front door of the church. Began the Protestant Reformation of which we are a part. We came out of, as all people, out of the church in Rome and separated ourselves from them because of differences in beliefs and practices and Martin Luther was the beginning of that. He had a friend who was his assistant by the name of Friedrich uh, Maconis. Friedrich Maconis was very ill and was going to live only days. And Martin Luther had been advised by a letter that his good friend Friedrich was about to die. And Martin Luther wrote a letter back to his friend Friedrich, and I want to read you a portion of that letter. This is in history. This is not fiction at all. Listen to what he said to his friend. He says, I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying. This is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now, as you initially look at that statement, it sounds mighty brash of a man to say, I want my will to be done until you conceive of the content that he had in saying to God, do not allow this man to die. I need him. He said, I believe that God will not ever let me hear that you died. Do you know that this man lived six more years? and He died two months after Martin Luther died, Luther never heard the word spoken. Your friend is dead. He had power with God. And God responded to what Luther wanted. That's power in prayer. And when we get to the point in our lives that we can pray that earnestly, and even that brashly, in behalf of somebody else, God's going to listen. God's going to listen. His concern, as I have stated, was for the spiritual welfare, the inner strength of those people. Look at verse 17. His prayer was that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. The Greek for the word dwell 
means to be at home. Here is why it's important to uh, have a little bit of understanding of Greek. Because this is another word we would easily pass over. But let me explain to you why the word dwell is so important here. The word dwell means to be at home. So what has he said? That Christ may be at home in your heart. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask two questions now. In your own mind and heart, respond. Not aloud. Is Christ in you? What's your answer? Question number two. Is he comfortable there? That is a little shaky one, isn't it? Is he comfortable there? Do you remember back in the Old Testament that Abraham and his wife Sarah sat in the tent door one evening and three men suddenly came down the road and came to their tent and Abraham uh, had a meal prepared for them and they sat and talked and, and the, one of the three men whom we have come to know was the Lord Jesus, and the other two were angels, said to Abraham that they would be having a child, although they were 90 and 100 years old. But they were going from that location on down to the city of Sodom. They were going down there to get Abraham's nephew Lot out of that city because they were going to destroy it. I want you to notice that there were two angels and a third man that we know is Jesus Christ that was in the tent of Abraham. When they got to the city of Sodom, there were only two, just the two angels. Jesus did not go into the home of Lot, only the angels. My question then that I ask you, is he comfortable there, applies to Lot as opposed to Abraham when I would suggest to you that the Lord Jesus felt comfortable and at home and welcome in the tent of Abraham and he was not welcome in the home and the life of his nephew Lot. Therefore he would not go where he was not welcome. And I think there are times that we have cast out and rejected the presence of Jesus Christ and made him feel uncomfortable and unwelcome and then we wonder why things fall apart in our lives. For he's not there. We have said don't come into our home or into our lives. On, the, on the, the walls of many homes, there is a plaque that I see at times, and it says, Christ is the head of this home. And I would have to ask the question, is he? Is he? The same question that I would have to ask when I see bumper stickers on automobiles that says, I love Jesus. The question is, do you? Or is it false advertisement? 17, a verse again, verse 17 again, the, the latter portion of it, part B. 
when he says, being rooted and grounded in love. Notice those words. Let me tell you where our roots are. I told you at the beginning that one of my responsibilities is to tell you who we are in Christ. I want to tell you that as Christian people, our roots are in the love that Jesus Christ had for us. That's where our roots are. A tree sinks its roots deep into the soil in order that it might find nourishment, that it might find water. And because of that, tremendous trees will grow even in the, the worst of droughts. If our roots are sunk deep, they will be drawing upon the love that comes from Jesus Christ. And we will be sustained and nourished from that source. And what will come out through our branches and through our leaves will be a reflection of that that comes from the source of our energy and our strength. To be Christian is to be loved. It's natural as breathing. It ought to be at least. Because that's the source of our roots. He says being rooted and grounded in love. A few years back, some of you, maybe perhaps all of you, saw the movie entitled Roots. As far as I'm concerned, one of the most dramatic movies ever presented that left uh, an image in my mind. Over the years, I've heard statements about roots. My grandfather was one who would say, of people, they're from good stock. That was an old farm phrase referring to if you were going to raise livestock, you found a good foundation stock to start with, with males and females that had the qualities that you wanted to produce that would grow a fine animal that would bring prime price on the market that was capable of producing good muscle so that there was good meat to sell uh, in, the, in the store and so it would bring good price. But what he was meaning when he said they are from good stock, meaning that they have good people in their background. And I've heard it said more than once, I know his family and therefore he's okay. But I've also heard it said, I know his family and therefore don't trust him. Where are the roots? I think it ought to be said of us across our community in every phase of our lives, he's okay because he has his roots founded in the love of Jesus Christ. He belongs to a family that is well founded from good. We can't get better foundation stock than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's where we're rooted, we're going to be good people. And that's what Paul prayed, that his church would be well founded 
in the love of Jesus Christ. Then verse 18, I want you to notice the word comprehended. He's praying that a person may comprehend with all of the saints, that is all of us together, but look at the four words he uses, that you might comprehend the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of what? You've got to go to verse 19 to get what the breadth, length, depth, and the height are, that you would comprehend how wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Christ? I don't think we've begun to comprehend how wide the love of Christ is. How far it spreads. How all-encompassing his love is. He's not interested only in the people in Turtle Creek, but he's interested in every man, woman, and child across this entire world and loves them with equal love. We have difficulty doing that. We want to pray as a prayer I heard one time, I think it was probably fictitious, of a man praying, uh, Dear Lord, bless me and my wife, Brother John and his wife, us four no more. Amen. We want to contain his love to a small group. But listen, the love of Jesus Christ is broad. It encompasses the entire world equally. And how long? The longer things get, it seems the thinner they are. You start stretching out a, a string or something and it becomes thinner and thinner as the longer you get and the less capable it is of sustaining any kind of weight. But not with God, not with the love of Jesus Christ. Nobody can stretch far enough to get away from the love of Jesus. You can't hide from him anywhere. You can't go far enough to escape him. For he will be there. And the depth, oh yes, Jesus is deep. How deep are you and I in him? And high? Yes, he's high. But he's within reach. He's within reach. The scripture says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Paul prays that his people would comprehend the total encompassing love of Jesus Christ in order that we might be filled, notice the last part of that verse, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. I want to read something, a little statement. There was an evangelist by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman who tells this story of one person who came to a revival. This is the man's story as told to Reverend Chapman. He said, I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp. And for a year I begged on the streets for a living. And one day I touched a man on the shoulder and said, hey mister, can you give me a dime? And as soon as I saw his face, I was shocked to see that it was my own father. And I said, Father, 
Father, do you know me? Throwing his arms around me with tears in his eyes, he said, Oh, my son, at last I found you. I have found you. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. The man said, Think of it. I was a tramp and stood begging my own father for ten cents. And for 18 years, he'd been looking for me to give me all that he had. I think that describes our relationship to God. There are many people who are standing around begging a dime from God. Just a little. Selfishly asking that their own needs and desires could be satisfied. And he stands looking and searching throughout the world for his own children to give them all that he has. If you're standing on the street corner this morning, spiritually speaking, begging for a dime, for a little handout from God, you tap him on the shoulder, you call him Father, and he'll give you all he has. That's the God we serve. That's who we are as Christian people. And if you're not one of us, if you're not one of this group for whom Paul prayed, you can be by simply saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ right this morning. Just get out of your seat and come down this aisle. That doesn't save you the coming down the aisle, but it does say to the whole world and puts that, that you want to be saved. It does put uh, feet under your desire, and the Lord God will bless you as you respond to him for that little dime. He'll come back with everything if you because you have come home. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.